are listening to New Life Before. We pray that this message encourages you and helps you stay Jesus-focused. I'm living is simply this. It's living life intentionally. So how many of you are living life intentionally this week? With purpose. You have decided to live life and live it well. That's basically what it being intentional means. It simply means that you make a choice day after day to live life intentionally with purpose. Yes. But we know that our purpose is not found in and of ourselves. We can't do it. We can't manufacture our purpose. Our purpose comes from one place and one person only. Amen. Let's look at Ephesians 1, 11 to 12 in the Message Bible as we begin. It says, it is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. I love how God has designs for glorious living. Because it's not just something that he's doing for, for uh, us as a group. He's doing it for us as individuals. Glorious living is meant to be lived out person per person. Amen. And that when everyone comes together, the world sees the difference in the church. The church is meant to stand out. We're meant to be different. And that's part of God's overall plan that he's working out in everyone and in everything. How many of you have ever seen blueprints? Blueprints for a house, blueprints for a building. See, God is the architect that draws out those blueprints, but he doesn't just stay there and show us a plan. He actually begins to make it. He becomes the contractor. He becomes the resources that are needed for that building to come up. That's what he does. And when he shows us the overall plan, he shows us our part in it. See, when an interior designer goes into a place, they look at the different rooms, and they see how every room will flow from one room to the next. It would be really strange if you had different types of rooms. Like, a, well, it can happen, but, you know, most people like flow. You can have a medieval room. You can have a futuristic room. And you're thinking, how does that flow together? The color. They'll find some way to make it work. But an interior designer will look at how everything will flow together, not just the colors, but everything that will be in the room as well. And God has designed our part into his overall plan. We see a room and we go, that's mine. And in that room, he knows exactly what you're going to need. He's gonna, he sees exactly what you're going to do. He sees exactly how you're going to be able to receive increase in that place. And then he sees, for example, how Virgie's room is right next to Earl's room. And how that will flow together. Could be colors. Could be the types of things that they like in there. Could be the thing, maybe even the clothes that they wear. Who knows? There will be a flow. And God is all about flow. He's all about going from one place to the next. That's what purpose is about. It brings you from one place to the next. For example, going up these steps. You need to purpose. You need to choose. You need to decide to be intentional about taking one step and then the next and then the next until you reach the top. You can stop at the first step, but there's still so much more for you. Why are you going to stop at the first step? 
If you know at the top of the step is everything you've ever dreamed of, are you going to stop at the first step? No, you're going to keep on going. Why? Because your eye is on the prize. Your eye is on the goal. And now you have purpose to get there. What's your purpose? To get all that's there for you. To receive and enjoy all that's been given to you. Now, last week we talked about seven things that purpose will do for you. Now, I'm not going to go through the seven. I actually want to go back to the three things, the three insights into purpose. And then that's just going to be my jumping off point to talk to you about what we're going to talk about today. The first insight into your purpose is this. You discover your identity and purpose through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Apart from Christ, we have absolutely no purpose. No purpose whatsoever. Our purpose is not temporary. Where we're going is not temporary. Where we're headed is eternal. And the purpose that God has placed in us is eternity. He has eternity in mind. When we meet people, there's eternity in mind. When we go somewhere, he has eternity in mind. God has a plan for everything. He has a plan for everything since that's his heart. And it's through this relationship with Christ that we discover this. See, in Galatians 2.20 in the Message Bible, it says, Christ's life showed me how. It's like that blueprint. You see how it's going to happen. And then you're wondering how. And he goes, and it goes on to say, and enabled me to do it. God doesn't just show you a plan. He gives you the strength to do it. He doesn't go, well, here is the plan. Do it yourself. No. What he'll say is, here's my plan, and I'll do it for you. What's our part? Our part is to participate. Our part is to partner with him. That's what 1 Corinthians 1, 9 says, is that we have been called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. Other versions say that we've been called into companionship, into partnership, into participation with his son, Jesus. God can do anything, but he wants to do it with you. He wants to do it with you. Again, Galatians continues and it says, I identified myself completely with him. Say completely. So that means there is nothing that is of your own. It is all him. And when it is completely him, what does the Bible say? As he is, so are we. So as he is presently, so are we in this world. In his glorious form, we are glorious. Is Jesus sick? No. Then we shouldn't be sick either. No condemnation, but you can simply tell your body this. The reality is, the truth is that Jesus isn't sick, and as he is, so am I. Is Jesus lacking anything? No. Then we shouldn't either. We can tell our situation, we can, we can tell our challenge, our financial challenge, hey, Jesus has everything he needs, I have everything I need. Does Jesus have good relationships? Well, if you have any broken relationships in your life, then you can say, wait a minute, just as Jesus is, so am I. So these relationships will need to work. So as we begin to declare these things, we begin to identify with him. And as we identify with him, we, be we begin to discover who we are. We are as Christ is. When people see us, they go, there's, that, there's a Jesus man. There's a Jesus woman walking the earth. Who they see is not you per se, they see him. But God uses this wonderful, beautiful shell that you have to showcase who he is in you and through you. Amen. 
The second and third thing, insights into our purpose. The second one is that God was thinking of you long before you were thinking about him. And the third one is the purpose of your life fits into a much larger purpose that God designed for eternity. See, when God was thinking about you, he had your specifics in mind for his general overall purpose. All that he has called you to do, all that he ha- every assignment that he has for you ties into his overall purpose. As a teacher, as a business person, as a pastor, as a nurse, everything ties in together to showcase who he is. That's his plan. That's his purpose. Um, Ephesians 3.10 says this in the New Living Translation. It says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Imagine that. It says he wants to display his wisdom, and he will do it through the church. Say, that's me. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. It's not just the four walls around us. We are the church. And God wants to use each and every one of us to display his wisdom in its rich variety. Another version says he wants to use us to, uh, to showcase his multifaceted wisdom. How many of you have ever seen a diamond? Seen. If you have one, awesome. But I'm sure you've seen pictures. Diamonds are cut a specific way so that you see its brilliance. And when light shines through it, you can see how it will shine, how clear it is. But when light shines through a diamond, a rainbow comes forth. See, when God shines his light through you and me, his rainbow comes out. And what is a rainbow symbol of? His covenant, his promise. And so when people see his light shine through us, they become aware of who he is. They become aware of what he's done for them. They become aware of all that he's made ready for them. And God wants them to know that. He wants to. That's his plan, to put us on display. Because when he puts us on display, people want that. I mean, how many of you ever go window shopping? Okay, window shopping is simply looking at things and saying, I will buy you later. Yes, not because you don't have money in your wallet. No, it's I will buy you later. Okay, Well, when we window shop, we're looking at displays. And the displays are meant to entice us to buy. It's there to entice us to grab hold of what's there and say, I want that too. God is doing that with you and me. You and I are meant to be a showcase. We're meant to be a display so that people say, I want what you have. And you simply say, you can have it too. They don't have to work for it. They just need to receive it. Amen. A purpose is found in an overall plan. In an overall plan. You know, purpose is not um, an end to itself. Because every assignment has a purpose. And assignments are are meant to lead you from one purpose to the next. The same way we we, we live by faith to faith, from glory to glory. That's what's supposed to happen. Purpose will lead us from one purpose to the next. The end goal, the ultimate goal, is Jesus. He is our ultimate purpose. And it's meant to show us, we are, our, our purpose is found in his overall plan. 
And in that overall plan, God uses strategies. He employs strategies to make that plan come to pass. Now, what is a strategy? A strategy is simply a careful plan or method for achieving a particular goal, usually over a long period of time. How many of you are waiting for something? How many of you are waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled in your life? Okay, we're waiting. In that waiting, God has strategies to make sure that it will come to pass. He has strategies to make sure that you're ready for what's coming. He is setting up the right people at the right time so that you'll be doing the right thing at the right place and you all have the right heart. And when that all comes together, then the promise can come and you can receive it with no sorrow. Because when God gives you something, there is no sorrow attached to it. None. There actually is a joy. Now, sometimes it can be uncomfortable, and sometimes there might be a hesitation on your part. But you know that you know that you know in your heart that God is good, and what he is giving you is better than you could ever imagine. So he's working out these strategies in our lives. Why? Because he's trying to get us something, and he's trying to get us somewhere. And he's trying to connect us to some people. For every strategy, you need to know the who. Who are you to be connected to? What's the target? You need to know where. You need to know when. Because timing is important. You know, sometimes timing is a matter of life and death. Timing. You need to know that. And you need to know the how. Like I said earlier, we don't really have to worry about the how because God will do it through us. He will do the work. He is effectually at work, the Bible says, in and through us. So we need to know the who, the where, and the time, the when. Now, these are going to be three strategies, three strategic elements into finding our uh, living intentionally. All right? And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about strategic place, which is simply location, location, location. How important is location to a a real estate agent? Probably the most important thing. Because if you have a good location, people are willing to pay for it. We're going to talk about strategic time. The when is just as important. Because it's about time we walk in all the things that God has for us. And then we're going to talk about strategic relationships or strategic partnerships. Because people need people. Remember, pastors have said this before. Relationships either bring you up or bring you down. They're like elevators, right? Your relationships matter because they can help determine where you're going to go. They help determine your uh, destination and your destiny. Get hooked up to the right people. When you are at the right place, the right people will be there. You cannot have, what's the, what's the use of having a place if people are not involved? God's heart has always been people. And so when he brings you into a place, he's bringing you into a place to meet the right people. The right people. I mean, you know what? It could be as simple as being in a restaurant and God put it in your heart and you're like, Lord, I don't know why I feel like I want to eat here, but I'm going to go in here. And when you get inside, you meet a person that actually has the connection you need, say, for your business. 
What did God do? He set you up. He set you up. See, divine strategies are setups for your step-ups. That's exactly why he strategizes for you. He does it for you. You don't have to think of the plan. You don't think of how to get there. He just goes, trust me, I'll lead you there. And so as we look at these three things, you're always going to see this working um, together. People, place, and time always work together. You will be in a specific place at a certain time for specific people. That's what strategy is about. Specifics, details, getting you there. And so we're going to look at some scriptures that will reveal a bit more of this. The first one we're going to look at is Genesis 26. Genesis 26, 1 to 6, 12 to 15 in the New Living Translation. And this is about Isaac, Abraham's son. And it begins with this. A severe famine now struck the land, as had happened before in Abraham's time. So Isaac moved to Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. Now I'm going to stop there. How specific is God? God said, live here as a foreigner. Why? Because he was telling Isaac to live set apart. He was telling Isaac to live set apart so people can take notice that he is not like them. That's why he said, live as a foreigner. And as he lived there as a foreigner, God said, I will bless you. I will be with you and I will bless you. What is God saying? I'm going to make sure that people notice you. When people see you, they go, this person is not of here. It's the same way with us. We're not of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're not like them. We're just like Jesus. Amen. So it goes on to say, I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give them all these lands. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I love how sure God is when he makes a declaration. Because he says, will be. It's not maybe. He says, will be. He goes, I will do this. Because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Now, what is the time that he's living in? It's a time of famine. And where he's at, the land that he's in, the, 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 the land is parched. There's no, there's no water and nothing's growing. It doesn't seem ideal now, does it? That God tells them, I want you to stay in a place that, there, that is completely barren. Because God is about to do something. He has him meet the king of the Philistines, Abimelech. It wasn't just any ordinary person. No, God went straight to the top. I'll introduce you to the king for a reason. Because the king needed to take notice. Because when a king decides on something, everyone has to go. Everyone has to follow. It's not like just one person, one common person, and they say, oh, I'm going to follow. No, the king carried so much influence that when he spoke, everybody was going to follow. And that's exactly what was going to happen here. In verse, in t verse 12, it says, 
When Isaac planted his crops that year, does it make sense that he's going to plant in barren ground? There's no water. The ground is dry. It doesn't make any sense. But then he goes on to say, he harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted. For the Lord blessed him. See, God's strategy defies human logic. When the world says, it doesn't make any sense to plant in this ground, God says, well, I said so, so it has to produce. God took care of the watering. God took care of the fruit. It says a hundred times. In another version, it says a hundredfold. Isaac had a hundredfold return in one year. How many of you would like to have that kind of return? If we sow, it shall be. Do you know that you and I have a better covenant than Isaac had? We're in Christ. We should expect this is something that's common to us. It's normal for us to be reaping this way. Then it goes on to say he acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle and servants that the Philistines became jealous of him. You think they took notice? They took notice, so much so that it made them angry and they got jealous. And in their anger, this is what they did. So the Philistines filled up all of Isaac's wells with dirt. These were the wells that had been dug by the servants of his father Abraham. Now think of it this way. If there are wells that have water, does it make sense to cover them with dirt? No. And yet in their jealousy, they made the wrong decision. They decided, well, I'm not going to allow him to have water, so let's just pour the dirt on top. Instead of saying, would you be willing to share water? Right? Isaac didn't mind. He went and dug himself another hole. He dug himself another well. And there was water. And what happened? The Philistines did exactly the same thing. They poured dirt in the well. Well, that didn't stop Isaac. He did it again. He built another well. And yet they did the same thing. But you know who took notice? Abimelech. Abimelech took notice that everywhere that Isaac went, water came and there was production. He produced fruit. So what happened? Smart Abimelech got into a deal with Isaac because he knew that if he was with Isaac, then the same God that was blessing Isaac would bless him. And so he, made, he cut a deal with him. He cut a covenant with him that Isaac could stay in the land and that everybody would reap. Everybody would benefit. Smart man. He figured it out. He wasn't going to stop Isaac from prospering. He just knew, let's get into partnership so I can prosper too. So if the king does that, then everybody has to follow. What did God do? He was able to touch an entire nation because he put one man one, and his family on display. God will do the same for you. That's what he wants to do. When he says he wants to use the church, he's talking about you individually and us corporately. Because our gifts, each and every one of us, we all have giftings. But you put our giftings together, and we can impact our uh, greater sphere of influence. And it takes working together. 
Amen. Now, divine strategies, I said this earlier, set you up for the step-ups in your life as it leads you from one purpose to another, building the overall purpose God has for you into your life so that you impact the generations after you. See, God doesn't just see you. He sees every generation after you. He sees every life that will be born after you, every life that will come from you. Because generations that come from you, they come from you personally. And as he sees that, he goes, this man, this woman, as I reach and I touch him and as I lead him or her, you watch the favor that's going to follow the generations after. And everybody will go, what's so special about you, Jesus? He's the reason I'm special, but do you want to be special too? God doesn't play favorites. We're all his favorites. And as favor rests upon us, we find ourselves moving from one place to another and God is with us. And God is showcasing us. He is doing the work. Amen. Now, <clears throat> that's seeing what happens when you listen to God. Now, Isaac lived, it said he stayed in Gerar. Now, you know, Gerar means lodging place. Okay? It means a place that you're going to sleep. It means a place you are going to eat and drink. Egypt is a form of the world. It's a place of bondage, but it means siege. It means battle. And God is telling Isaac, I don't want you to go into the battle. I don't want you to go into a place where your mind will be confused. It will be sieged with thought after thought after thought that you are going to have to do everything to make sure the promise comes to pass. No, I want you to, t uh, to take a rest in my lodging place so that I can feed you. I can give you drink, and I can cause you to rest. Because that's the place you are most prosperous. It is there that he brings the prosperity to you. Did he have to work hard? Was he the one that struggled to make the hundredfold uh, come to pass? All he did was plant the seed. That's all he had to do, plant the seed. Maybe till the ground a little, but plant the seed. God brought the increase. God was the one who did it, and he just listened to God's instruction. So you see strategic people, place, and time benefiting the one that God has spoken to. Now I want to show you an example of being at the wrong place, at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing with the wrong people, with the wrong heart, or the wrong motive. And we're going to see that in the life of David. David, but David was a man after God's own heart. Well, David made mistakes too. And his were life and death. His being at the wrong place, wrong time, with the wrong person caused death. Praise God, not in this place. If something wrong happens, God will make sure that you are redeemed and it's not life and death. But let's look at his life. In 2 Samuel 11, 1 to 2, it says this. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Amnon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So when was the time? What was the time? The time was when kings were supposed to go into battle. 
They were supposed to go. They were supposed to go at, into a one place and fight an enemy. What was David doing? He was sitting at home. He was just sitting there. He didn't go out. He sent other people to do his job. So he was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Now this leads to doing the wrong thing because he saw the wrong person and he had the wrong motive because it continues in verse 2 and it says, then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Now David didn't just stop at looking. He wanted that woman. So he sent his servants, got the woman, and he slept with her. Now this woman was married. And she got pregnant. Now, what does the law say about adultery? You get stoned. The laws apply even to the king. Now David freaked out a little. So what did he do? He recalled Bathsheba's husband and said, you don't have to go fight anymore. Go and spend time with your wife and go sleep with her. But her husband said, nope, I'm going to stand at the gate and I'm going to do my duty. David's like, okay. So David had to come up with something else. He came up with, let's have a banquet and I'm going to get him drunk. So he did. He got him drunk. And he said, go home to your wife. Go sleep with her. And what did he do? He went to the gate and stood there and did his duty. So since David couldn't convince him to go home to his wife, he ended up sending a message to Joab. And he told Joab, call him back into the, into the battle and make sure he dies. So Bathsheba's husband goes into battle and he dies. Just as David had commanded Joab to do. Now, he didn't kill him. Joab didn't kill him. He just put him in the front lines so that he would be attacked first. Now Bathsheba went through a period of mourning. After that period of mourning, David ended up marrying her. And the child that she ha they had conceived together was born, but then died. Two deaths from one wrong decision made because he was at the wrong place at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing, with the wrong person, with the wrong motive. Now let me show you how good and faithful God is. Because despite all those wrong decisions, God still loved David. Who ended up succeeding David as king over all of Israel? Solomon. Who was Solomon's mother? Bathsheba. God redeemed that bad decision and gave him a successor that would lead his, his, the nation of Israel. The Bible says that in Solomon's time, there was no war. There was peace that reigned during Solomon's time because David was the man of war. So God was able to take that and make things right. Don't be afraid to step out. Because mistakes are never intentional. A mistake is never intentional. You didn't make a mistake on purpose. 
You just stepped out and did something and there was a mistake. God knows how to take your mistake and make it a message and a testimony for others. And it can cause you to see his faithfulness and goodness towards you. Now I'm going to give you another example. This is Jesus. Strategic time, place, and people, our relationship. Do you remember when Jesus said, we're going to the other side? The other side was really a specific location. It was a place where the Gentiles lived. And so when Jesus told the disciples, we're going to the other side, he was very specific about that. He didn't just say, I see that land over there, that's where we're going. No, that's the other side we're going because there's somebody there I need to meet. Who does he meet when he gets to the other side? He meets a man who is demon-possessed. When everybody else has already forsaken the man, they left him in a cemetery, they tied him up, they didn't want to have anything to do with him, Jesus comes to find him. And when Jesus finds him, he sets the man free. He casts Legion out, and the man is now sane and in his right mind. But what happens? He tells the man, don't follow me. Go back to your town and tell your family what has happened to you. Because the man wanted to follow Jesus, wouldn't you? After having lived years, demon-possessed, not knowing what, going crazy, people hurting you, you cutting yourself, that's what the Bible says. And now you're free, of course you're going to want to follow the man that freed you. But Jesus says, no, go. Go and tell people what's happened to you. So the man goes, and he goes to a place called Decapolis. Decapolis means 10 cities. So in 10 cities, you have this man telling everyone about Jesus and what he has done for him. He was evangelizing. Jesus was very specific that at this time, we needed to get to the other side because I needed to meet this person. And this person was going to be the one to spread the word about who I am. Another time, Jesus was very specific about where he had to go. Very strategic. He said, he said I have to pass through Samaria. I have to pass through Samaria. Why? When he got to Samaria, it was a specific time of day. It was noon. It was hot. And he ended up at a well. And at the well, he meets a woman. <coughs> and that woman, that woman who had, who had been married five times and then was living with another man, so six men in her life, came into contact with the seventh man who ended up setting her free, completing her. Everything that she had been looking for in the other men, she found in Jesus. And as Jesus began to tell her these things, she goes, I perceive you to be a prophet. And, she and he tells her, if you knew who was standing before you, if you only knew who was standing before you, and I think she got it then, because all of a sudden she runs and goes back to her town and says, come and see the man who has told me everything that I have done. So people go. What did she do? She evangelized as well. And she led people to Jesus. One strategic relationship. 
One strategic relationship can change the course of an entire town, an entire city, an entire nation. Because when one person gets it and they pass it on, they will continue to pass that on. Purpose is contagious because purpose has passion. And when you have passion, people notice that. It's like a fire. You stand by somebody who has passion, you can't help but get it. And something stirs up within you and you're like, I want that. And you start to run together. And other people begin to see what you have and they talk to you about it and you speak about it and you start running together. It takes one generation to change a nation. One generation. That doesn't mean that you have to all be young. Every single person in this, in this church right now is part of a generation that can change this nation. That can change this nation. You're, it's not an accident that you're here. It's not. I mean, we even said it's not an accident that some of, some of you were born Filipino. It's not an accident some of you were born Australian or American or, or British or, you know, whatever you are, African. It, it, it's, not a, it's not a coincidence to God. He was purposeful in planting you where you are. The power, not the power, maybe the influence that a Filipino has is great. You may not realize it, but it's great because you will find a Filipino anywhere in the world. Anywhere. You find one, you will find his family. There's never just one Filipino in a nation. It's true. You will find at least five. And they could all be related to one another. But you'll find more than one Filipino. And God has put that in our heart. We're very caring people. We're smart. We're funny. We're, we serve. I'm not saying that we're servants and we're slaves. We serve because we want to serve. We're loving. We're giving. Wow, that got less. Not to say that the others, are, the others are not like that, okay? I'm just saying because we're all Filipino, majority in here. But there's something about the way God made us. Acts 17.26 talks about how God made sure that we were born for such a time as this. And, he, and that the boundaries are, of our habitation, he made sure we were born into he decreed it. He declared it. It's not an accident, and it's not a mistake. Because that's what God made sure that we were in. Now, I want to give you another example of right time, right place, right people. Do you know Joseph? You know Joseph? If you start thinking about his story, you're like, right place how is that possible i mean he was sold into slavery his brothers hated him he was sold into slavery you know and he served he was a slave in different houses he was jailed how did that work for anyone's benefit well romans eight twenty eight in the amplified says this we are assured and know that god being a partner in their labors 
All things work together and are fitting into a plan for good. To and, the, and for those who love God and are called according to his design and purpose. Now, Joseph had a design and purpose for his life. Because as a young man, he had a dream. He had two. Where stalks of wheat or bales of hay bowed down to him, each representing his brothers. And then he had another dream where the stars and the sun and the moon were bowing down to him. So he knew that his life had a purpose had some sort of meaning, meaning where he would end up being, uh, uh, he, would be in, he would stand in a position of influence. He was too young to understand what that meant. Overzealous, that his brothers got angry. They wanted to kill him. But praise God that they didn't. They decided to sell him instead. And they sold him to Ishmaelites who were going to Egypt. And once in Egypt, he was sold to Potiphar, who was the captain of, of, of Pharaoh's army. He may have started out as a slave in Potiphar's household, but he became the second in command to, uh, to Potiphar. The Bible says that Potiphar didn't even concern himself with any of the details of his life except for what he would eat and his wife. That was it. Everything else was left in the hands of Joseph. Now, the Bible is very specific when it said that he was a success because God was with him. Now, God put him on display despite the situation, and yet he put him into a household where the man of the house carried much influence. So he was able to learn what it meant to be in an Egyptian household how to lead an Egyptian household. Now, of course, Mrs. Potiphar ends up seeing him. She wants him, and he says no. He ends up in jail. Now, you start thinking, if I were Joseph, I'd be like, God, what happened? What am I doing here? What did I do wrong? But the Bible also says that even in the prison, he was a successful man because God was with him. The warden of the jail or the jailer said, here, Joseph, here are the keys. You take care of everything. If I were Joseph, I would have walked out of the prison. But Joseph stayed because of the integrity of his heart. Even, even if he was um, accused wrongly, he still stayed. He still stayed. Because in that place, he was going to meet a man that would have great influence on what would happen in his future. Who did he meet? He met the cupbearer of the king, the cupbearer of Pharaoh. Now understand this about a cupbearer. A cupbearer actually has to taste the drink of the Pharaoh to make sure that there's no poison. So that's pretty close. He has the ear of the Pharaoh. They share a cup. And yet in that place, Joseph ends up meeting him because the Pharaoh had gotten angry and thrown the cupbearer into the prison. But the cupbearer has a dream, which he was able to interpret. And when he did, he simply said, you are going to go back into the same position, but remember me when you get there. Well, cupbearer was restored to his position, but he forgot about Joseph. Until... The Pharaoh now had two dreams. 
two dreams that shook the very foundation of his believing because he, he was scared because he knew it meant something, but he didn't know what. And when he called all the magicians and all the soothsayers, they could not interpret that dream. So what did he do? All of a sudden, the cupbearer remembers. Pharaoh, there is a young man in the jail who was able to interpret my dream. And what he said came to pass. What does the Pharaoh say? Bring him here. Bring him here. So what happens? Joseph leaves the prison and stands before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him his dream, and he's able to interpret it because God gave him the interpretation. Pharaoh was amazed. Pharaoh goes, Joseph, what do you recommend? What should I do? And Joseph, Joseph says that you need, to, you need to make sure that you have a wise commissioner, somebody who will be able to manage all the things that need to be done. All the, the seven years of plenty is able to manage that so that when the seven famine years come, Egypt will survive. There'll be more than enough. What does the Pharaoh do? Joseph, there is nobody as wise as you are. Here's my ring. I now give you charge over all the land. Joseph, a foreigner in the land, is now second in command to the Pharaoh. Now, God was very specific as to why Joseph ended up in Egypt. And this is what the word says in Genesis 45, 48. It says, and Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. This is the part where Joseph is now going to reveal to his brothers who he really is. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into, into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. Three times he gives credit to God for bringing him to Egypt. Did he understand what was going on? Did he understand why he ended up where he was? No, but God was able to turn a bad situation around. And he was able to use a foreigner, somebody who was not Egyptian, not just to save his family, but to save the world. Because at that time, Egypt was the world. It represented the world. Everybody was coming to Egypt to receive food. Then it goes on to say, so now it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. I love how he said father to Pharaoh. Why father to Pharaoh? Joseph was, Joseph was probably younger than Pharaoh. That's my assumption. But he had the ear of Pharaoh. Pharaoh was willing to listen to his counsel and he was willing to obey it. And as he did, he gave Joseph authority over all the land. 
He was a great ruler in the land. And then it goes on to say, You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, and you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. For there are still five years of famine. Imagine that. Here's Joseph saying, Just come near to me, and I'll take care of all that you need. I will not allow you to walk in poverty. You will have more than enough. Now that land, that, uh, land of Goshen, Goshen means to draw near. The closer you get to him, the more he can provide for you. The closer you get to him, the more you hear his heart for you. And you hear Joseph's heart here. That what he wanted to do was take care of his family. It, and it wasn't just his family. I mean, it was even all that his family owned. He wanted to take care of for them. And Pharaoh hears about this. He hears about this reunion and he is joyful about it. And then he says in verse 17, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Here's the Pharaoh saying, load your animals. What does that mean? Put as much as you want on your animals and take it back with you. As much as you want. Then it goes on to say, bring your father and your household and come to me. Pharaoh is now saying, you come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. You have Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, saying, I will give you everything you need and more. You can enjoy the very best. Verse 19. Now you are commanded. Do this. I love it. Pharaoh didn't just talk to Joseph and say, hey, Joseph, this is what I want you to do. He goes, no, Joseph, I command it. And when a, a king commands something, he decrees something, it must come to pass. So he says, do this. What, are we, what is he supposed to do? Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. See, when we draw near, when they drew near to Joseph, all that Joseph had, the favor that he had with the king, was now what they had as well. And when the king spoke and he commanded a blessing upon the people of, of Israel, when they drew near to Joseph, they drew near to the king and they were able to receive the very best of all the land of Egypt. The Pharaoh went as far as to say, it's yours. It's yours. See, Joseph is likened to Christ. As we draw near to him, he will take care of us. Pharaoh in this picture right now can be likened to Father God. That as you draw near to his son, the one that he loves so much, all, that he, all the love that he lavishes on Jesus, he lavishes on you. And all that he has is yours. God is very strategic. God thinks like a general strategies to make sure that his plan will come to pass. You are part of that plan. 
You being here today is a part of that plan. It's not an accident, nor is it a coincidence that you're here today. You may have seen a sign out there that said New Life in Cinema 7 and you walked on in. You may have heard the loud music that we play and you walked in. Some people have thought it was a free movie and they walked in. You may, be in, you may have been invited by someone. You may have wa- uh, seen our website and said, oh, I'm, I'm going to check that out. But God put something in your heart to be here. Part of his strategy. You are at the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing. What are you doing? Listening about Jesus. With the right people, look to your left, to your right, to your front, to your back. Just take a look. These are the right people with the right heart. Because I believe the desire of your heart is to have more of Jesus. Why do you come Sunday after Sunday to hear more about Jesus? And that's the heart of the Father. He wants you to have as much of Jesus as you want to have. What you decide in this place is to simply live life purposefully. By being here, that is your choice. And when you live life purposefully, when you position yourself to live life purposefully, God will position you for overwhelming prosperity. You're receiving seeds in this place that's going to bear much fruit in your life. Not just spiritually, but physically, naturally, tangibly. The things that you hear here must bear fruit. Because the word always produces. So I believe that from this point on, you're going to live life with intention. Deciding day after day after day to follow Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, as we look upon his face, you see more and more with clarity what God has made ready for you. I wrote this and I said, our purpose begins... Seated at the feet of Jesus, leaning against the chest of the Father, hearing his heartbeat being stirred up by his love. As we sit here, you're not the same person you were when you came in. But that was God's intention to begin with. He was transforming you as you walked on in. And he will continue to do so as you look upon the face of Jesus. Amen. Did you receive something today? Well, let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to give an invitation before I pray for everyone. I want to give an invitation for those of you that are here for the very first time, or maybe you've been coming, but you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. God meant for you to be here today. He saw you. He called you by name. He knows every tear that falls from your eyes. He knows the cry of your heart. And he's saying, I am here and I am your answer. So for you to be able to live life intentionally, you need Jesus. So if you're here or in, or in the fourth floor, let me ask you to quickly raise your hand if you want to receive Jesus into your heart. You raising your hand as you just simply saying, Jesus, I need you. And Jesus, I want you. Anybody in this place today that would like to raise their hand, 
to receive Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Thank you very much. And I'm sure there are people in the fourth floor as well. And there are people that see that. But more importantly, Jesus sees it. So congregation, this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray with the people that have raised their hands. Those of you that raise your hands, just repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, I thank you that you brought me into this place today. From this point on, I believe that I will hear you very clearly. And as I look upon your face, I know that my future is bright. I thank you that day after day, your love for me will be manifested. And I will have a desire to run after you intentionally every day of my life. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, follow us on social media or visit our website at newlifefort.com.